After a welcome break in Shanghai, I returned to the cradle of elites to continue what had become my new purpose in life, teaching kids English without trying too hard. In today's episode, amongst other things, I'll share some of the classroom games I invented, sometimes on the spot, which all, bar none, went up like a helium balloon, as opposed to down like a lead balloon. In other words, they were great, so you're not going to want to miss them, especially if you're thinking about joining the ranks of the English teaching world. As the school weeks passed, I supported Yuan, the Chinese teacher in Kelly's class, with the increasingly unreasonable workload she'd been dealt. As a new teacher, she was being put through a probation period. She was always reluctant to ask for my help, an offshoot of the keep the Lao Wai happy policy. But just as often, I couldn't help for lack of language skills or intelligence. But I tried, in the hope that simply acknowledging her busy work life and the way she strenuously kept up with it would be support in itself. Seeing that the management at the Cradle of Elites didn't express any gratitude to me, and I was a doted-on foreigner, there wasn't much of a chance of Yuan receiving any appreciation. To make matters more stressful, all the parents had her contact details. She was eminently at their beck and call whatever the hour. She was the first and last line of defence for any problems the parents diagnosed or plucked out of the sky. And she'd deal with them with diplomatic candour and irresistible charm. Every day she'd shepherd her flock of calamitous seven-year-olds from sunrise to sunset, cleaning up their puke, wiping their grubby noses, playing with skipping ropes in the hallway, teaching Chinese, translating my classes and all the rest. Her breaks occurred when the class was taken away by the PE or piano teachers, and then she'd be organising, planning, typing or whatever. In evenings, I would sometimes pass her classroom and see her sitting there, in the glow of a sole desk lamp, tapping on a keyboard or scrawling red ticks on books. It was always full steam ahead for Yuan. On those moments where Yuan would walk into the room, red-faced in frustration, and talk to Qian about something in Chinese, I felt guilty for the relative luxury of my job. Not only did I not have a similar workload, I didn't even have the language skills to overhear her troubles, such was my shielding from them. Her English was good, but the gulf was still great. One day I asked her, why a serious face? We have to teach a class in front of the parents, she told me. I never did this before. I reassured her that she's a good teacher, just do what you normally do and it'll be fine. But she said that the bosses will also be watching, and if the parents don't like it, they'll be held to pay. Then the distraught look on her face suddenly changed, and a smile appeared. Maybe I was getting through. But this was no normal smile, or was not as it seemed. You have to do it too, she said. You what? She was right. We all had to teach a class in front of the parents. Twenty-eight adults at the back of the class watching me and wondering what I might be saying. Just what I needed. The main purpose of such an event was to make sure that the parents' cash was being well spent. They had paid big bucks for us, and they wanted to be sure that the results were beginning to show. Every one of those parents wanted fluent kids, kids who could read Shakespeare or write a concise history of the Sino-Japanese wars before their next birthday. For kids who were still struggling to master the direction of a curve on a letter J, this was a tall order. (music) 
one student, Angela, had a father who was particularly hopeful of his young daughter's burgeoning success. While she clung to his hips and danced with much clumsiness, he spoke to me earnestly about how her English not improved fast enough. She's one of the best in class, I told him. She can write words, match words to images, show her a cat and she'll say cat. Quite amazing, really. Some of these other little tykes can do little more than drool. It'll be some time before these kids can understand even that they're being taught a new language, I told Angela's dad, let alone actually begin to communicate with it. Yet somehow I had to convince the adults that this class of happy but linguistically challenged children were getting somewhere. Yun told me that they just want to see that their kids are having fun. So be it. With 28 Chinese parents at the back of the room, I jumped around and clapped and played games for 40 minutes. We played Teacher Says, better known as Simon Says, Knots and crosses with letters inside the squares, and a new game I invented called Point to the Letter and Shout It Out. And here are a few other games which were added to the repertoire over the weeks and months. Game 1. Go out, come in. Purpose of this game is to practice prepositions, make kids happy. How to play. One kid volunteers. He or she stands at the front of the class giggling. Other kids giggle at their discretion. Teacher says, Everyone say, go out. The class screams, go out. The volunteer exits the room. Giggling increases. Teacher says, everyone say, come in. The class screams, come in. The volunteer comes in. Class roars with laughter. Works every time. Variations include sit down, stand up, books out, books away. Game two, what can you do? Purpose of this game, practice verbs of action. Teacher says, what can you do? A student raises his or her hand. He or she says one of the verbs you have been practicing. I can jump is a particular favorite. Okay, show me you can jump, says the teacher. The student thus jumps, bringing that round of the game to a close. Hands shoot up everywhere, game continues. Game three, can you do two things? The purpose is to practice and. This is a variation on the game known as uh, what can you do? Having established that many kids can jump, run, walk, clap, draw, turn around, the teacher asks whether anyone can do two things. Students respond to this concept with an awestruck war. The teacher says, can you jump and draw? Mutters of disbelief circulate the room. A student volunteers, says, I can jump and draw, and proceeds to draw something on the chalkboard while bounding up and down like a rabbit. Hilarity ensues. Game four. Bring me your pencil. Purpose, practice, possessives, and listening skills. Teacher asks for a volunteer. Student stands up. Bring me your pencil, says the teacher. Student brings his or her pencil. Rest of class watches, enraptured by what might happen next. Teacher usually receives pencil without incident, and student sits down. Variations include bring me his pen, bring me her ruler, bring me Peter's desk. A particularly amusing version, this last one. Game five, sticky ball, noughts and crosses. All across Asia, the sticky ball is an absolute necessity in the ESL teacher's armory. Purpose of this game, well, there are many purposes, including vocal practice, but it's mostly just fun. Pictures are drawn or projected onto the board. A noughts and crosses grid is drawn over the top, so that each section has an image in it. Two teams play noughts and crosses, their position determined by the throw of the ball that sticks to the board. The class shouts out the word represented by the picture where the ball lands. 
ordinary tactics of noughts and crosses are changed to a game based on aim, crowd control has to be implemented with great attention. Game 6. Can he or she catch it? The purpose is to practice answers in the positive and negative. Teacher casually presents a ball, gaining without exception the undivided detention of the entire class. Teacher says, can you catch it? A student is chosen who says, yes I can. Teacher throws the ball to the student. If he or she catches it, everyone says, yes he can, or yes she can. And if the student can't catch it, everyone says, no he or she can't. Mocking students who can't catch is optional. Game seven, calendar, snakes and ladders. Purpose, practice ordinal numbers. The calendar is drawn onto the board onto which some snakes and some ladders are placed. Magnetic counters are used to represent teams. The player rolls a huge blow-up dice to move. When a counter moves, the class chants first, second, third, fourth, etc. Conventional snakes and ladders rules apply therein. Tension rises to suffocating proportions as the finish line approaches and erupts into complete hysteria when a team wins. Game 8. You are what you eat. The purpose of this game is to practice food and past and future tenses. Teacher asks, what did you have for lunch, breakfast and dinner? What are you going to have for lunch, breakfast and dinner? And what do you want for lunch, breakfast and dinner? Student answers, mirroring the grammar of the question. The mentioned food item is drawn on the board, with the face and limbs arbitrarily added afterwards. Teacher claims that this carrot or chicken leg or bowl of rice is the student. Everyone laughs uncontrollably. Game 9, Hangman. The purpose is to practice spelling and listening, and to bring a little morbidity to the class. A word is chosen for Hangman from an established list, so the students can work it out by a process of elimination. Even when the word is known among everyone, students find an almost euphoric glee in filling in the letters. Teacher can sound out the word carefully, and students use their knowledge of phonetics to guess the letters. Bonus hint. Teacher can play dumb and pretend to mishear the student's guess. This is especially effective for the final letter, when victory is almost in their grasp. Example, say the word is cat. Students find the letters C and A. Only T remains. Everybody knows what it is. A student says T. The teacher says, did you say B? Students all say, no, T. And the teacher says, did you say D? Students say, no, T, and so on and so forth. Once all the letters are exhausted, teachers can use the other words that rhyme, such as three, tree, and me. Teachers should act responsibly to limit the extent of the hilarity during this game to avoid seizures. Game 10. What picture in the book am I acting out? Also known as charades, or charades. Purpose, vocabulary practice, of course. A book has a number of images. Student approaches front of room, raises finger to lips while considering how to act out one of the images. Remaining students watch in anticipation. The student then spends a few nanoseconds acting out the image. Usually it takes the form of a sharp swipe of the hand. This gesture apparently denotes monkeys, trains, carpets, mountains, or karate. Confuse students guess randomly until one gets the answer. Repeat. Game 11. Find it. Read the sentence. Purpose. Listening practice. For slightly older kids, say 10. In this school, anyway. Class is reading a small story. 
again and again until the monotony has almost caused some children to pass out. The teacher implements the progressive find it, read the sentence game. First, the teacher reads a random sentence in the story. Students scramble to find the sentence in the book, and the first hand to shoot up belongs to a student whose task is to read the next sentence. Then, teacher reads another random sentence in the story. Students again scramble to find it, and the first one to find it has the task of reading the previous sentence. Next, the teacher reads a single word from the story. Students race to find the word and read the entire sentence in which it resides. Then, the teacher says a Chinese word, for which the English translation can be found in the story. The students become overwhelmed by the profundity of the concept and have to be calmed. The students seek the English word, the flipping of paper the only thing that anyone can hear. The sentence which contains it is read aloud with the student's excitement perceivably repressed, for it is all they can do not to explode. And 12. Collective story. The purpose? Imagination development, something which is not often encouraged in China. Much of Chinese education is rote, and learning English is no exception. Children are often a little perplexed when they are asked to come up with something themselves, but if you start early enough, they can get the hang of it. So the class picks a few characters in a setting, such as three cats in a forest. Draw this on the board. What happens next? Kids are nominated to develop the story on whatever whims they fancy, and simple sentences are written below the pictures. I was lucky in that I had two classes, and hence could see how the different stories developed. In class one, the story was of Homeric proportions. Class two's had a hint of Beckett. But each had a profound depth, an inventive satire of Chinese society, and even, dare I say, an illuminating insight into the existential condition of 21st century youth. Obviously, I would be remiss, and you would be poorer, should I not share them now. <clears throat> the story of the cats, the hole, the treasure, and the ladder. Three cats are playing basketball. Max goes home to eat an apple. Hap falls down a hole. Hap finds some treasure. A zombie comes out. Sam throws down a ladder. Hap climbs out. And the second story is called The Fox's Demise. Three cats are sleeping. A fox comes in. The fox chases the cats. The fox gets tired. The cat climbs an apple tree. The cats play. The fox comes back. Max throws an apple. The fox dies. The cats play with bananas. Sadly, on my first open class, the level of English was such that we were limited to what games we can play, and hence the old classic point to the letter and shout it out was heavily relied upon. With 28 parents grinning at the back of the room, each curiously considering their own child and remaining impressively indifferent to all the others, we pointed at letters and shouted at them with much gusto. We also practiced colours, asked each other what our names were, and found out who likes cats. And it turns out the answer is everyone. At the end of the lesson, I awkwardly addressed the parents through a translator to tell them that their children were an utter joy to teach and that their English is progressing at a decent pace. These were, of course, cliches which had to be said, but, much to my own personal satisfaction, they happened to be true. The day was at an end and I stopped by Kelly's room for a debrief. She had also been on display for the parents and had found it as gruelling as myself. The situation was harder for her because, being overweight, the Chinese parents didn't like her. At least, that was her impression. It's wrong to be fat in China, she told me. She also told me what a terrible time she was having with the canteen food. She had brought this up at the last meeting and had sent Jane tons of text messages to complain, 
One for every time my stomach has rejected their disgusting vegetables, as she put it. Kelly was deadly serious. For her, food was a way of life, a signifier of her very being, the stuff existence was made of. Kelly lived in a world where lampposts were made of candy sticks and April showers rained chicken soup. But before long, Kelly's dream of special treatment where the food was concerned would come true at the cradle of elites, kind of. And next time on Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you, me and Penny find sweatshops, Penny offloads about her gripes in grade seven, and we experience some of the charm of the slow life in the shadows of the mountain, drunk on green tea.